The clock on the wall says one o'clock. I'm Guy Adami. Dan Nathan, of course, we're sitting next to each other, folks. You believe opposite each other. Opposite each other. But this is market call, Dan Nathan. I don't know. We're opposite each other, but but we are next to each other still. Well, but if we were sitting side by side, that would be this odd. Would be next to each that other. That would be like odd. That. Yeah, yeah. Today's market call, by the way, is brought to you by FactSet, financial yeah. data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Today, we are joined by Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. And who else, Dan Nathan? Hashtag Butters. John Butters. He is the senior earnings insight analyst so over there at the FactSet. And, and, and we, we, listen, we get to preview his earnings we insight do. blog every We're Thursday. Special. On market call, but today's Wednesday, and yeah. you often get yourself a little bit confused. I get confused. So we actually have him with us here, and he's going to go through just really all Q1 earnings season. We're getting towards the end of it, and he's got a lot of really good stuff. Yeah, and this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, so it means people have barbecues and stuff. So I'm going to say this before he comes here. Butters is going to be at some barbecue with a bunch of people, a bunch of people that he's never seen before. And they're going to come up to him and they'll be like, you're that, you're Butters. You're Butters. And he's like, you're damn right on Butters. All right, I mean, that's all I'm just saying. All right, let's Interesting day in the market here, by yeah. the way. Debt ceiling seems to be, again, the top of mind. The S&P is going from 4,200 to 41-ish yeah. hundred in the course of a day and a half. I mean, that's the type of moves we've seen. But the thing, and we're going to talk about all this stuff, the thing that I find most interesting today is the VIX, which didn't care at all, for some reason, seemingly cares today, Dan Nathan. How are you, by the way? Well, I, you, you know, listen, I, and you've been saying this, actually. Um, you know, the closer we get to it and the sort of back and forth, at least is just from a sentiment standpoint, I mean, sooner or later, someone has to take note, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to have to kind of put some downside protection in or hedging, whatever it is. And, you know, there's a lesson, I think, that was learned this year, Guy, and, and definitely about the regional banks. And, you know, this really struck me the other day when and Jamie Dimon was talking at his analyst day and when he's been telling, he said, I've been telling customers, I've been telling people, I've been telling other banks, he said, other banks, be prepared for higher rates for longer. And it's interesting. And it takes us all the way back to, you know, you thought rates would go when, when the Fed said they were going to raise rates to battle inflation at the end of 2021. You were like, watch out here, people, because it's not going to be a couple and done. And the fact that these regional banks weren't hedging that risk, right, that they had on a mark-to-market -market basis, they're held to maturity securities. And I think that when you think about what's just going on right here, we go back to 2011, the last time we really had this sort of showdown, you know, people panicked in that thing there's been no panic yet so long way of answering to your point the fact that the vix is above 20 still feels like that's just a lot of complacency right here there's not a lot of prepping going on for worst case scenarios in my opinion i agree by the way i still think they're going to get something something done now yeah. whether or not the market rallies on the back of that remains to be seen but the debt ceiling to me as important as it is for not only our economy but for the global economy in terms of the market, I still think it's a bit of a sideshow because I think what people come to the realization, and we talked about it on Monday, I believe, that the macro is what matters and the macro environment isn't all that great. So we'll talk about Biden negotiators set to meet amid debt default impasse. I love the way they spell that with two S's and an E. It's very French, but you know that's nice and interesting. But I think the realization is going to come in the form of, wait a second, we got through this, but you look across the landscape and there's still problems out there. Yeah, so you and I were were on Fast Money last night and we had a great conversation with Rebecca Patterson. Mm -hmm. uh, we had, uh, you know, Karen Feinerman and we had uh, obviously the illustrious Melissa Lee. Sure. And we were talking about some of this stuff, but we were talking about it through like slightly different lens. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned this is like, 
look at how these resource stocks trade. Like, Awful. So if they if they can pull up like an FCX, okay, in, in copper, you saw where copper's trading. If you look at an Alcoa, look at a letter X, look at coal. It, it trades, those all trade like the globe is going into a recession. And then, you know, we spent some time talking about the fact that the, that the Chinese are shutting down some, you know, public, you know, music fairs. And Very this and quietly. Very quietly, yeah. okay? So you think about that Q1 GDP print of 4.5%, and I made this point last night on Fast Money. In 17, 18, and 19, you know, Chinese GDP was, you know, nearing 7% or so. It's between 67 and 7%. Well, it was 4.5% in Q1, and if they start shutting things down here, I mean, there's a month left in the quarter. I mean, the China reopening trade could be just a total dud this year. The market has said that for quite some time. I mean, when the China reopening came out, the headlines, you had that initial spike in a lot of these stocks and a lot of the commodities. And that was as short-lived as anything. I mean, everything gave it all back. And to your point, steel prices have been cratering. The resource stocks don't trade particularly way. I thought Alcoa would hold this little bit of a double bottom. It hasn't. Uh, so that's telling a story. The S&P is telling a story as well. Might as well look at it because... You know, the moving average is a flat line. I'm sure Carter has some ideas on this and some thoughts, but you know, we traded right up to those levels. Effectively, we saw in February, seemingly have, I say seemingly, because again, a lot can happen. Yeah. And here we are still sort of stuck in the middle of this range, effectively. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, you know, that 4,100, 4,200, we've been talking about it for, you know, six or seven weeks right now. Um, all right, let's bring him in. You mentioned oh. him. Carter Braxton. Oh, I like Carter. Uh, of worth charting here. Um, Carter, I do like Carter, by the how way. are you, bud? I'm good. You guys are both next to each other because you're Thank pretty you. close proximity, six feet away, but you are sitting opposite one another. It That's is true. It. All right. So it's Thank you. True, you but know, you are next why. to each other, too. Like, I'm not next to you. You guys yeah. are next to each other. Here, sitting opposite. This is why we bring in the big guns. Right. Like well, CBW the and then Butters on a day like today. Star power, not us. It's kind of like just last night, Carter. Guy and I sit down on the same side of the desk at Fast Money. And last night, we were next to each other. Yes, we okay? were. On the other side of the desk was Rebecca and Karen. And I looked at you and I said, we're a little bit outgunned we're, we're here. We're totally outgunned. Yeah, we're, and we're outgunned. Listen, yeah. if it's Butters and Carter outgunned against again. Outgunned again. Outgunned again. Unless we're playing like dodgeball. And then I think we'd kick their ass. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Are you are you a guy? Do you aim for the head? What Absolutely. Do you do? 100%. Because you think you get a knockout blow, Carter? You a you, you, you head, you, you yeah, head guy, too? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. So, so Carter, let, let's talk a little bit um, about this S and P five hundred. We had that like mild breakout, mild. Okay, and it got rejected. When you see such a tight range, like we've been in for six or seven weeks, okay, and then you see a little bit of a false breakout. I know you're not going to say that's not particularly meaningful because it was up above there for like uh, you know a hot minute here, but then you see this sort of one hundred point. Pullback here. Is this significant to you, especially when you consider the headlines that were like ping ponging back and forth here over the next few days? Right. No. And the key, of course, is that the equal weight S&P and other so many other aggregates are, were never even moving up as you got that little inch above the line there. Uh, the, the truth is we're still just stuck. The market is uh, is a pair of twos. But what's happening under the surface is getting worse and worse. Um, I just I just don't like the setup. I look at it here and say, you know, the moving averages are flatlining. I think people are coming to the realization, just my opinion, Carter, that wait a second, maybe the macro isn't that great. Um, so it's, it's been 15 stocks effectively, two as we've talked about, 15 stocks effectively driving this entire thing. The problem, of course, being they're all great companies, but the valuations have gotten stretched. And I think 
to a certain extent, we're seeing that today. What does this one day move in the VIX mean to you, if anything at all? Because we haven't seen a move of this magnitude probably in a month, month and a half or so. Yeah, I mean, the VIX is very uh, sort of low relative to where it's been and uh, due for a counter trend. It's up against its declining 150-day moving mm -hmm. average on a VIX chart. I, I think the whole, you know, this whole debt thing is a red herring. It's it, none of it's real. I don't think again that they will go over the over the side. Over, that's what brinksmanship is. You get to the brink, but you don't do it. And so the reality is, so they they get that solved. Does that have anything to do with the operating results of Foot Locker, which were poor, or Abercrombie and Fitch, which is up today? It does nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with world steel prices or copper or corn. It has nothing to do with whether Nvidia is good or bad. The whole debt thing is just nothing. I mean, because if they don't solve it, what? Oh, well, we'll just risk a 20% sell-off in the S&P and yeah. the cataclysms that take place all around the world when, quote, the most important country with the most important currency just plays uh, politics with everybody's lives. Of course, they're not going to do that. If they are, then, then they're that stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, it's interesting. And, and we're going to talk about retail here in the U.S. And, and we've been talking about it, I think, for weeks now because a lot of the retailers that we started reporting last week, Walmart and Target, and some of the things that they talked about, I think initially, you know, some investors uh, kind of breathe a, a sigh of mm -hmm. relief on the inventory front, that sort of thing. But when they look under the hood, there's some trends that aren't, aren't particularly great. And so bringing it back to this whole debt ceiling thing, you know, people like us who stare at our fact set machines all day long, right? And we're looking at every headline and every tick and the things that matter to us, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of over it. And I think we're all in agreement that something's going to happen. But if you're a consumer out there and you hear people like, you know, like, like Janet Yellen, the treasury secretary, who they don't even know who she is until periods like this. And they start talking about how we're not going to be able to pay our debts unless this, that, or whatever. And they are literally talking about what could happen to the economy, what could happen to the stock market that could have an effect on, I'm just saying, consumer spending, consumer sentiment in general. And that's one of the reasons why, yeah, they'll push it to the brink and like who knows the damage that this happens between now and then. And if for any reason there is some sort of hiccup where we have a week or so where things go haywire, that one week has the potential, I think, to do a damage on the quarter guy. Do you like, is that something? I, listen, again, saying? the US consumer, I say this all the time, I never question their want to spend because they've proven over and over yeah. again that they will spend in just about any environment. Question is, should they be spending? And we've we've spent a lot of time talking about debt levels, credit card debt, and all those things, and nobody seems to care about it. But to your point, people stop spending when they're scared, when something happens that scares them. And this might be it. Historically, it's been a stock market sell-off in a precipitous fashion where consumer spending stops on a dime. But if they continue to see this on the evening news each night with Dan Rather – that if we don't get a debt ceiling, your guy, I was more of a Brokaw guy. Brokaw guy. Yeah, Carter, you were definitely a bro. Oh no, Peter Jennings. Yeah. Carter no, no. was yeah. well, rather took the man from Walter Cronkite. That's that's the real, that's the real. Yeah. Guy. By the way, um, as you know, Dan Nathan, now a minute is going to really mad. Fine. We got time. No, REM. Yeah, their album Monster. Now REM was one of the great bands in the eighties. They probably had a six-year window where it was REM and everybody else, yeah. but. Off Monster, there was a song called What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Yeah. And, of course, famously written about an encounter Dan Rather had on the streets of New York City. Back to you, Dan Nathan. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Well, well, okay. We just solved a lot. You know lot who cares of about that? Butters Butters. Does. All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute here. All right. So, Carter, talk to us a little bit because you had a call, I want to say, about a month ago in Walmart. You said it was churning. It was at a level. It was, you know, there was a little bit of a downtrend, but it was also at a, just another resistance level. If you wanted to draw a horizontal line on a shorter term basis, 
basis. And that kind of proved that, that proved out a little bit. Guy has been highlighting the fact that Target on a relative basis has just been, uh, you know, a garbage. And then some of the things that you just mentioned, the Foot Locker, and there's been a whole host of other names that just don't act um, particularly well. So talk to us what you're thinking. You know, we're probably at least two thirds the way through retail earnings we got a really big one tomorrow night costco you want to look at but let's think about like the xrt the s p retail etf that tracks it because i was looking at it on the set of fast money um last night as we were talking about some of these retailers and it just looks heavy it sure does and it's a great aggregate because we know it's an equal weight or close to equal weight uh etf with some 90 stocks about uh, 2.9 trillion includes Amazon and Walmart, the two biggest, but Costco, Home Depot. And interestingly, they get the same weight as a Gap or an Urban Outfitters. Here's the chart. You see it there. No lines, no drawings. Let's put some in. You have a fairly well-defined trend line. Um, and the question is, are we about to break that? Well, you could draw the arrow. I think we do. But what's important is how you have that perfect double top. You failed mm -hmm. the December-January rally right into February high. February 2nd was the market high. It got right to that prior high of August, literally to the penny, and puts in a double top. You can annotate it with a double top, you see in the next iteration. And so the question is, is this going to break? Well, if we pull it back, let's keep the same setup, but give it a longer term look, and let's change it and put in a downtrend line. And so we're working into a point, and then let's go even further back and pick up the COVID low. And then final chart, on an absolute basis, take a look at this. We're basically, we're sitting at a break juncture. And, and of course I could have moved that uh, lower line up and show that it's already broken. But relative performance is particularly poor. We can get into that as well. Uh, this is not a good setup. And and even though you get moves like a Foot Locker that are down a lot, or today it's Abercrombie & Fitch up a lot. Um, just to talk about it, Abercrombie & Fitch. So, you know, there are a lot of stores that just don't need to exist. So one could read the headline and say, Abercrombie and Fitch is up 25% today. That's one way to write the article. The other way would be this. Abercrombie and Fitch, whose stock peaked in 2007 at 85, before today was down 75% from its all-time high, but now is down only 65%. <laughs> Meaning... This stock peaked 15 years ago. Abercrombie doesn't have to exist, just like Gap stores. You can sell T-shirts anywhere. These are not enduring businesses. This peaked 15 years ago. Who gives a damn that it's up today, 25%? Although yeah, I will you tell it, you, I bet you back in your day, Carter, you you shopped regularly at the Abercrombie and Fitch. I can't walk in those stairs. There's one of the Short Hills Mall. You know I don't know what they have in there. The smell is overwhelming. Yes, you could buy uh, a, a bit of an mini fridge. So, could, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm sorry. So Aaron Rodgers yesterday had his press conference. Um, if anybody cares, I thought it was pretty ridiculous. But let's call a bit of an audible. I want to pull up a target chart if I could, Jacob, Stephen, and or Amanda, because I want you to look at this sixty-five billion dollar company. Um, we're at pretty important levels here. If we can look at a target chart, um, maybe if we could stretch it out a little bit, you'll see exactly what I'm looking at. Huge support levels right here in this stock. Speak to me about potentially the importance of Target and what it potentially could mean to the broader market. I mean, big one, right? I mean, now you're getting into real market cap. And, of course, a general retailer, general merchandise, and really in many ways uh, a pure one in the sense that it's not selling groceries like Walmart. And that one-day drop on the chart, which you see there, Walmart had the same thing. That was the single worst one-day drop since 1987 crash. 
that's epic stuff. And here we are, no better than we were then. Um, what would be the thesis for buying this? It's not working. At one point, it looked as though it was bottoming. It's clearly not. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's focus. I, I think that this one, you know, Costco for so many different reasons in Carter. And I think that, you know, when people kind of dissect the differences between Walmart and Target, it really comes down to who sells more groceries. Right. And so the grocery business has been a good business in an inflationary environment and they don't have the sort of inventory issues. They did have some sort of supply chain issues and they did have some issues as it relates to price. But like Walmart, it's really benefited from getting people in there. Um, half their sales are groceries. Costco has a, a kind of similar sort of makeup here. Um, from a fundamental standpoint, you know, we often talk about the differential between valuation with Target and Walmart. The Costco is off the charts, right? And, and I mean, to me, so that's one, and it has something to do with obviously the membership model and everything like that. But talk to us about this one because this stock also, Carter, is not making any progress. It reports tomorrow after the close. The implied move in the options market is only about 3%. And if I'm looking at the 52-week range, a year ago, the stock was trading just above 420. Um, a couple months later in the summer, it was trading um, just above 560 or so. Here we are at this kind of 480 range. We're almost like slap dab in the middle of this thing, but it looks like there's some tension building. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, what we know, of course, this is a different model as you, and it's always commands a premium for that reason, because the membership is very, very sticky. I've always wondered, and one of the largest shareholders of all time was Warren Buffett. He abandoned it years ago. I was wondering why he doesn't buy it out. He's got all that cash sitting around. In any event, what do we see? We see, of course, a well-defined series of lower highs and higher lows working into the apex of formation. So let's draw those lines. And what we know is of course it's going to be decision time or breakdown or breakout time. Let's put the arrows in to make it even more sort of obvious. And what happens remarkably is that you get news that resolves the pattern, but the patterns set up and tell you that something is going to, and, and I think it's jump ball here. I mean, obviously it's closer to the lower bound than it is the upper, um, but it reflects the market. There is a huge standoff between those who say the mighty Costco is always going to be around. You rarely get a chance to buy it, you know, some 20% off its high. And there are others that say, this is just, you know, too expensive. And it will go down if we go in recession like everybody else. That's the chart, though. I mean, that's clearly it. You have a series, if you look going back over a year, a series of lower highs, but you also have a series of higher lows. And we're coming into this pennant formation where, quite frankly, it could go either way. I mean, the subscription model suggests 94%-ish retention rate, which is probably why they deserve that premium valuation. But how much of a premium is the question? And the margins come in at a certain point as well. Do they get squeezed on that front? I'll tell you, if you're looking to trade this thing, I think, I mean, I'm not trying to sort of pass the buck here, Dan, but I think you got to wait for them to report. And whatever way the move goes, I think you sort of go with the move because you're going to break out to the upside in a meaningful way or the downside. And one you sort of have a handle on that, I think you ride that wave. Yeah, and the only thing I would say is, and that's kind of been my and your inclination throughout this whole earnings season, because if you get something wrong, you, you know, like the like the A&F today, the Abercrombie is a great example. It's like, you know, that business might be deteriorating, but it might be relative to the expectations. It might have been short interest was rising for this, that, or whatever, and you get your face blown mm -hmm. off, and there's a good chance that it gives a lot of that back over the course of the next few months, especially if we have, you know, a more difficult 
difficult consumer environment, a recessionary environment. So to me, like there's no reason to be a hero and play a one day move. And when I think about the Costco here, 3% implied move in either direction. Okay. And I look at that pennant that, that, that in the lines that Carter's drawing, if you get it wrong, if you're bearish, it goes right back to that downtrend. And Carter's going to tell you it's just where it should be, right? I mean, like, like think about it, right? And if you get it right and you press it to the downside, okay, could it go down 2 3%? Could it go down 5 or 6%? I got to tell you, I don't remember too many times where I've seen on a one-day basis Costco moving more than 5% in either direction. So it's just they're not great. It's not a, it's just not a great trading idea that just, you know, in, in my opinion, especially picking a direction. So, Carter, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, and 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 it's the the implied move suggests that that I mean, what would really not always is the implied move right, of course, but what would really um, be interesting is not strength, right? Strength would just leave you a little bit higher in, still in the formation, still between the converging trend lines, but weakness that was outsized would uh, would be bad, obviously, but it would start to further sort of subdue the recent very bullish talk on Wall Street. We have yeah. strategists throwing in the towel, raising their price targets, all this nonsense. And meanwhile, the market is a pair of twos at best. Yeah. And I just make one last point. So when, when Guy pulled that audible on Target, you said, what would it mean for the broader market if mm -hmm. this thing were to break down? And I think that this is probably a great input into that broader sort of macro thesis, especially as it relates to a U.S. Um, consumer, which is why, unless you have so much conviction on this one name, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So um, to me, Carter... We appreciate you. We appreciate your insights. Appreciate we appreciate you. your charting. You guys know where to find them. That would be at worth charting. Worthcharting.com. No emojis, no hearts. Just charts. Bitch. All right. You got to put that part. All right, bud. That'd be so Thanks, good. man. I love that part. All right. So this is probably, it's a, it's a Wednesday. Usually, I'm not going to say anything now because we want this, we want to make this professional. Yeah, we do. Because this guy, I mean, like, you know, he's just, he's up there on your, what What do you call it? Your, Mount Everest, the, panth the Pantheon, the Parthenon. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, Mount Everest. I'm sure, you know what? In a past life, Butters probably climbed Mount Everest. All right, let's do no it. With no oxygen. All right, so 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 about once a month, we we get a guest on our show. We get really excited about it. Yeah. We get to read his work sure. each week. We get to preview his earnings insight blog. Um, on our Thursday market call, which drops on Friday, you can find it at the Fact Set um, blog here. But this would be John Butters. He's the senior earnings insight analyst over there at Fact Set, joining us live on the program. Butters, welcome. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I love John Butters, by I, the way. I, Was I right? Did you hear me earlier talk about the um, Memorial Day weekend barbecue you will be at and how you'll be approached by random people at said barbecue? I'm going to try to escape to New Hampshire to avoid that because I, yeah, I just can't yeah. have the, but, you know, you know it, we should it, have it could be up. everywhere now. So, I'm going to throw this out there, and maybe we can put them on both the Risk Reversal website and the facts. Hashtag Butters T-shirts. You know, I mean, listen, we will do that. I don't, I doubt our friends over no, at FactSet are in the merch that, business, but well, well who, who knows here? All right, John, you know this. We've been tracking your earnings insight blog throughout earnings season. And actually in the lead up to it, it was really helpful when you think about what expectations were, okay? You have a report out, um, you're kind of, you know, thinking about on a, on a Q1 wrap basis here, what were some of your big takeaways? Because we were tracking your data. We know that the average, um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, decline that we saw over the course of the quarter for S&P 500 earnings was greater than we had over a five or 10 year sort of period. 
but we came in better than that. So what, what was kind of your, 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 your take into the end of the quarter, the way estimates came down and what most S and P 500 companies reported. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that really stood out this earnings season was we saw a much better performance of companies versus estimates relative to what we've seen the, the last few quarters. So overall, 78% of the companies beat the estimates for Q1. That was much better than the 69% we'd seen the last few quarters and better than the 10-year average of 73%. And also the magnitude of the beats was much higher. So overall, mm -hmm. uh, companies beat by about 6.5%. Again, if you look at the last, Q, last couple of quarters, they were in the 1% to 2% range. And what's interesting is one of the drivers of that was the much better performance from some of the mega cap tech companies. So, for example, Amazon and Meta Platforms missed earnings estimates three of the four quarters in 2022. Alphabet missed in all four quarters. This time around, all those companies beat the estimates. And as a result, we got a higher B percent or higher uh, surprise percentage. And like you mentioned, Dan, as a result, we went from an expectation of an earnings decline of about 6.7% coming into the earnings season. We're at 2.2% decline now. So we're still going to have those two quarters, two consecutive quarters of earnings declines, but a much smaller one for Q Q1 than what was expected coming into the earnings season. So I look at this, John, and maybe you have thoughts, I don't know. Maybe the analyst community just got themselves too negative. Now, to your point, I mean, there was this, um, an inordinate amount of companies that beat, but they beat extraordinarily lowered expectations. So although there, there were beats, if if you really look at it in terms of where we are, things still aren't great. I'm sure your work probably suggests something like that. Yeah, I mean, the numbers, so we did see certainly much more negative guides this quarter than we'd seen the last couple of quarters. The estimate revisions were fairly consistent with what we'd seen in Q3 and Q4. So I think it's always that interesting debate where, you know, our estimates too high, our estimates too low. And, and typically the trend is they're a little too low in the near term, a little too high in the, in the far term. And I know we'll have a chart a little bit further on uh, talking about the revisions going forward. But it is interesting when we look at those revisions, you know, net net the the upside to the earnings for Q2 offset some of the negative revisions we've seen for Q3 and, and Q4. So if you look at overall for 2023, we're looking at about $221 per share coming in in the earnings season. We're basically at $221 today. And I know you guys talked about the trading range we've been in and that 4100 4200 range. So the forward PE is at 18, and we really haven't seen that change very much from March 31st through today. Still at 18, which, again, depending on the comparison, it's it's lower than the five-year average of 18.5. It's above the 10-year average of 17.3, above the 20-year average of 15.5. But it's interesting that we've gone through this whole earnings season, and, and for the full year, we're basically no change from where we were coming into the earnings season in terms of the, the earnings expectations. So, John, you just mentioned that, um, you know, a bunch of those big mega cap techs are huge contributors, S&P earnings. Right. And so the beats that that we saw, especially after a lot of the misses that they had last year. Right. Has really kind of helped power, um, you know, that kind of beat rate. Um, when you think about that. OK. And you think about that 18 ish multiple that you just talked about, which is basically in line with a five year average. And it's just a little bit above the 10 year average. And you say to yourself, OK. Is that appropriate right here? And I'm not asking you to uh, opine on the valuation, but when then when you think about the equal weight S&P and, and how much lower its multiple is, do you ever think about that a little bit? Because I think at its lows, the equal weight S&P, I think bottomed out when the S&P was at its lows in October, somewhere in the kind of low teens, if you will, the 13, 14 times or something like that, because we get pushed back all the time that we're waiting for that 220 number to get below 
200 and have a trough sort of multiple that looks mid-teens on that, which gives you an S&P that's much lower than here. And I'm just curious, do you think sometimes do you ever X out some of the big contributors or, or smooth them out a little bit and think about it in equal weight terms? Well, generally speaking, when we do our analysis, we do look at it on an earnings weighted basis. So the larger the companies with larger earnings are going to have more weight. We typically don't look at that on an equal weighted basis. But, you know, to your point, I think it's interesting if we can pull up that chart that shows uh, the earnings growth rates over the next couple of quarters and where they were on March 31st. Um, you know, analysts, even though the numbers have kind of come down a little bit, we're still looking for a second half recovery in earnings. And obviously, particularly in the fourth quarter. And we did a little bit of a deep dive into that Q4, and the companies that are expected to drive earnings in Q4 are these same mega cap companies that we've talked about that had the surprises in Q1 that have really been driving the S&P 500 increase in price since the start of the year. You know, the biggest drivers of that earnings increase are expected to be Amazon, Meta, uh, Alphabet, Apple. So again, it's it you know how much faith to does the market have in seeing those earnings actually pan out in Q4 you know that's where that's where the expectations are those are the companies really expected to drive growth in the fourth quarter and obviously well the second quarter earnings season come up we'll get sort of an update on you know on where these numbers stand but those are the companies again expected to drive that 8% growth in Q4 so we'll see how that plays out um you know over the next couple of months John, it's interesting. The middle slide, which we should take a look at, speaks to the growth in certain sectors or lack thereof in others. And I'm struck by the two extremes. Consumer discretionary, to your earlier point, is sort of off the charts in terms of its earnings growth. And there are probably a number of reasons which you talked about. But the flip side of that is materials. And that speaks to something that Dan's been talking about, about the economy, the global economy. And if materials are getting whacked like that, again, to me, probably as economically sensitive a space as you can find on this list, maybe industrials as well. Speak to the importance of materials, if at all. Yep. So we look at materials. I mean, that's really weakness across the board there, metals and mining, chemicals, you know, they all had significant declines. And I think, you know, in conjunction with materials, if we look at the energy sector, you know, 14% growth this quarter, but I think it's really important to note, this is the last quarter of growth for energy. As we go through the rest of 2023, the energy sector is expected to be the biggest drag on earnings looking for, you know, earnings declines of 20% to 40%, depending on the quarter you look at. And, you know, part of that is the commodity comparison. Oil prices are around, you know, 70, 75. Now, if you go a year ago for Q2, those are up in the $100 range. So I think when you look at, you know, we're certainly seeing weakness in commodities when you combine materials and then energy going forward. On the flip side, in the consumer discretionary sector, we, we've talked about this theme a little bit uh, in the past. A lot of the growth there coming from Amazon, which had some easy comparisons a year ago. Take Amazon out, that 54% drops down to about 16%. But another driver of consumer discretionary, we're still seeing the hotels, the travel, those companies are all doing well. A lot of those companies either had profits this quarter versus losses a year ago or much smaller losses. So if you take out Amazon, take out those hotels, restaurants, and leisure, that consumer discretionary 54% growth becomes a decline of about 6%. So a lot of growth in consumer discretionary really concentrated in Amazon and the hotels and restaurants. And again, you know, we'll see how that, again, that, that strength is supposed to continue through this year, but you know, the comparisons will get more difficult and, you know, we're not looking for, you know, the, the growth rates will decline as we move forward, but consumer discretionary is still expected to be a positive contributor through the rest of this year. 
Well, I'll just say this, you know, going back to an appearance that you probably had late last year with us on Market Call, you were telling us, you were telling our viewers that, you know, if you were reliant on energy as a mm -hmm. major contributor, okay, to S&P earnings and kind of kept them in the game last year, so we didn't have double digit declines in 2022, they are going to drop off at some point in late Q2 into Q3 of 2023. And that happened. So when you start talking to me, in the same way about some of these discretionary, some of the services or whatever, you got to have your antennas up to see for some sort of weakness that might, um, you know, happen if we are obviously headed into a recession, if China locks down again, all those sorts of things would impact that sector uh, most definitely. Okay. John Butters, the man, the myth, the legend. Love him. He's the legend. I mean, that's it. Okay. You guy loves him. I love him. Our viewers love him. John, we really appreciate you coming here. We appreciate all the work that you do over there at the Earnings Insight blog. And we appreciate our, pre uh, our preview that we get to do on Thursday. Yeah. And I, if mem listen, I don't know this, but it sounds like John's going to wait for it, Dan. Lake Winnipesaukee. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that accurate? That is a great, that's a great guest, Dan. A guy. How did you know? Yes. I'll yeah, be well, up to the, lake, the Lakes here. region. The that's, Lakes region. That, is this that's weekend. what I. Well, you don't want to give. You don't want to. Uh, too many people know because they, they, they don't. Those streets are not. They're not equipped to handle that type of traffic. <laughs> you know what? And you just named the episode. What about butters? What about butters? You see what I did I there? See what you did? There. Okay. That's All right, fantastic. John Butters. Love He's John a senior butters. earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. John, thank you very much for being with us here today. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. He's the man. All right, guy. Um, let's hit two names that are near India. I know what hearts. they are. I, I know, know. I don't even I need know. to look. I know I what they know. are. I know. Uh, I know. We rarely talk about a certain stock that seems to be driving Tesla today. But let's take a look at this. Oh, yeah. X Pang. Yeah. So, so one. Listen. One of the big themes in in, in I think in in Tesla's Q1 was this price war mm -hmm. in China. They have a car that is not nearly as refreshed as many of the local manufacturers there, okay? And the Chinese consumer really cares about the new latest and greatest thing. They also care about U.S. deemed to be luxury, aspirational brands, that sort of thing. With Tesla, um, that had been a big story here. But then when some of those local competitors were having their lunch eaten by Tesla, they started lowering prices, right? And so to me, the margin issue with Tesla is something that I just don't think, and you and I talked about this, it's not going to be a one quarter thing. No, they had 25 and a half percent gross margins last year. There was nearly 10% above, let's say domestic manufacturers here in the U S and we know Ford told us they lost $3 billion last year in the EV space. We get it. But let me just tell you this people, this price war now with, Automotive gross margins going down possibly into the mid-teens for Tesla right now. This is a problem because you saw their cash flow. It dropped like, what, $2.7 billion, okay, year over year in the quarter. And it would have been negative if they didn't have the EV credit. Right. So to me, there is a problem here with Tesla that some folks just don't want to acknowledge. Now, let's, we might as well take a look at a Tesla chart. Because so, so, And the point was that X-Pen had really right. bad results. All those names are Neo's down 10%, X-Pen's mm -hmm. down 10%. And um, Tesla's not being spared from that. Yeah. And we talk about, for me, the battle line for margins was going to be around 20%. Yeah. Now, to Tesla's credit, in the fall of last year, they said our margins are going to start to come down, but we won't approach the levels that the legacy automakers are at, 16-ish percent or so. Well. Yeah. 
guess it's what? Getting, it's, getting it's getting there. And that's a problem. All right, so here's because then you have to question their valuation. Okay. Understanding they deserve a premium valuation, but yeah. what is that premium? So the stock filled in the gap, okay, post its Q1 results, the gap from January results, okay? It got down to like 155 or something. And then it was like a rocket ship up to just, you know, so we have that chart up there. You see that downtrend that's been in place from the February highs mm -hmm. here. That 200-day moving average is downward sloping. So it's going to be right near that high pretty soon. I'll just say this, guy. When I looked at the stock on the opening, down three and a half percent it was not lost on me okay that elon musk who's the ceo of tesla yesterday was announced that Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of florida is announcing his presidential bid on a twitter spaces hosted by elon musk okay and when you think about Ron DeSantis in this tit for tat like culture war and it really is a culture war with bob Iger, the ceo of disney and you think about who the natural buyer is of an electric vehicle. They believe in things like climate change, okay? Some Republicans, like, and this is not political. This is just a fact, okay? Like Ron, they don't want to acknowledge those sorts of things. Although his state might be underwater in 50 years from now if they don't acknowledge it soon enough. So I guess my point is, is that there is a certain contingency of Tesla owners and maybe future buyers might be really turned off by the fact that there's a governor from Florida who passed a bill that says don't say gay in their schools, in their state, and Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, is hosting him on his other platform. And I know that I, I know that there's some people, I'm sure that our comments are blowing up, but this is this is truth. Do you agree with that guy? Well, I, I mean, think like, to you, I, with the point you're making, and it's probably correct, that he could turn off potentially half of his potential customer base Correct. by definition by going down this route but, but this is why Ish. he supposedly so, announced a new ceo linda yaccarino from nbc universal to, to be the face of the know, company i don't know why right? he would host and, and, that twitter space it makes no sense it makes me. no sense right like like think about that right so so like to me i just think that that again this shows you nothing has been fixed if you're worried from a tesla shareholder standpoint that he has been too distracted with stuff over there at twitter and he's waiting in some areas that is not going to be something that the natural tesla buyer is into like it's kind of a problem here and i've said this again and again and you guys know i'm short and you know and fine whatever i mean there's two things there fundamentally i think there's definitely this price war is not ending anytime soon okay i think the fundamentals of this company get worse before they get better and if we have a recession it's lights out and if you listen again if you look at a longer term chart the stock yeah, we do was over a hundred percent bounce from the lows we've acknowledged that i mean i'm the first to say that I thought the stock on the way back up would probably stop around 155 or so. It traded up to two and a quarter-ish. Um, it's given it a half of it back. And if you go longer term and look, this is not a particularly good-looking chart. I mean, this stock is still challenged from the all-time highs it made, not coincidentally, in the fall of 2021. So you can say what you want, and that move got everybody geeked up from 103 to two and a quarter. But here we are right smack in the middle of that range, and it has effectively been upper left to lower right for the better part of a, I don't know, eight or nine months now. Yeah. So, I mean, or I just, longer, really. again, I find this one interesting. It's still a $580 billion market cap company. Um, it seems to be, you know, it's a huge um, component of the S&P and, and the NASDAQ. And that's why this one remains important. But I just think it's really interesting because I've said this again and again, Tesla shareholders bear all of the risk of everything that he does outside of Tesla. And the Twitter thing is just an outsized risk. And when you think about why is he getting so into the weeds of the politics of this thing, he, he'll probably say, I'll host Joe Biden. 
I'll host Bernie Sanders. I'll host anybody. But is that the sort of platform that you want the CEO of this company over there at Tesla, which is the only publicly traded company that he sits as the CEO and the chairman of? You know what I mean? So to me, that's that. Okay, that, that's it. But the one, yes, and and we'll see. It has not tra didn't trade well yesterday, and it hasn't traded well, well reverse, today. It reversed on the China yes. news on, on yes. the news that maybe there's going to be further lockdowns in China, that sort of thing. Um, and so again, China is a huge, huge. Um, issue for this company. It's a huge source of future growth. It's a huge source of access to rare materials that would go into their batteries. It's a huge source of their manufacturing, and it's a huge source of demand as it relates to consumers. And I just think all of those things are going to be really, really challenged. In it's the, a growth engine for a lot of companies. Now, before we get out of here, NVIDIA, we've been talking Oof. about this now. Oof. So here's a trend line, folks. Take a look. And you can, if you can say NVIDIA is going to be the next trillion and a half dollar company on its way to two trillion the most important company maybe it is i do not know i mean i will tell you though a lot of this move has been basically multiple expansion go back and look at the last quarter it was great it was not by any stretch this good um you see the up moving average is sloping higher which is encouraging we're up against a pretty steep uptrend line i don't know what to tell you i mean knock yourself out as you say i mean i'm sure a lot of people want to roll the dice and stay long into the print saying we're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be $350 stock, maybe. Um, it's an expensive stock. And I don't know what they could, again, I'll say this, and I'm going to look like an asshole tomorrow if it's up 15%, but for the life of me, I can't imagine what they're going to say. And by the way, NVIDIA, the company actually made reference to U.S.-China relations and how potentially devastating it would be for the semiconductor industry, blah, blah, blah. So I look at this and say, if you're long the stock, if you've enjoyed this ride, which I've clearly missed, you got to pull. You got to be disciplined and pull the ripcord here. Well, I've been short of it, and I'm really hoping that it breaks that downtrend. And a lot of it has to do with this, like, like expectations. And I got to say, you know, like my tone about Nvidia relative to, let's say, a Tesla over the last three months has been really different. I don't have a bone to pick with this company. No. When investors are the ones here who that bid it up, who bid it up, they're the ones willing to pay 25 times sales, 67 times earnings. And I guess if the company you know, comes out and just says, hey, listen, you know, like your expectations, this is analysts and investors are just too high, right? We're expecting, let's call it 20% revenue growth, 30% EPS growth. Um, and, and they guide below that. I mean, this stock's going to open at 275 tomorrow. OK, and so you tell me if they're able to come in line and let's say guide in line, where's the stock? Does it make back a little of the last couple of days? You know, decline It's down about five percent. Maybe. I don't know. The implied move in either direction is about seven percent, 21 bucks or something like that. So I think the risk of like a gap and just, you know, like blowout it would take the most miraculous quarter and guidance that you can imagine. What's the all-time high though, guy? Three, um, 350. Yeah. I think it got close to 350. You'd have to go back and look. It, I think it happened. I want to say in the late summer of what 2022 or something ish, yeah. but I got to go back and look. You know what's amazing? Short interest is like two percent. Isn't that nobody it, short? Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, nobody yeah. short this name. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, maybe this. I will tell you though. If you go back and look, I mean, we've had 30, 35, 40 percent. Peak to trough declines in this stock um, over the course of a couple of weeks, at least three or four different times over the last four years or so. So Q4 2018, when the S&P sold off 20%, the stock got cut in half. It yeah. went down 56% or something like that. I'll just say this. I mean, you know, we just said, you know, the whole thing about being a hero um, into prints and this, that, whatever. Um, it, you know, if you just look at the weekly 
straddle 300 that's where the stock is trading the call premium plus the put premium it's about 20 bucks let's call it okay 20 10 dollars for the call 10 dollars for the put it's a 300 stock you're risking three and a quarter percent whatever you know what i mean like that's the way to do it if you have conviction in one way or another that's the way i'm kind of positioned but i also have um, a longer term sort of position on this one too um but again i mean this kind of flies in the face of um what do you what do you call it when you're when you're betting and and you're just kind of pushing it? You're you have a name for that? Oh, um, you're just what, playing with house. What? No, no, what? no, no. Because no, I don't have gains in this one. I'm, oh. I've got when, when you just you're, you're back against the wall. You just got to kind of take a crap at I it. Like, I like it. that. You know what I mean? Doing? That's what I'm doing here. So okay, well, I'm just okay. saying. Sometimes you, know. you sometimes you got to do that. <clears throat> no, there's a name for it. We've done it with Danny on the pod a little bit. You know, Danny but, Moses. Yeah, Danny of Moses. The big short fame. Of the big. By the way, fame. he he shares a podcast with us. Drops on Fridays. At your favorite podcast on store. the tape. Listen, I want to thank um, the following people. I obviously want to thank FactSet, our sponsor, Financial Data and Analytics Powered, Powered by tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. They're also our data provider. I want to thank Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. No emojis, no hearts, just charts, just charts bitch. <laughs> and I obviously want to thank the great John Butters, who will be in Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire, this weekend at barbecues. Uh, good luck with that, John. Obviously, thank the audience, uh, and and buckle up for this Nvidia number, man. Oh, baby, that's going to be must watch. TV. Wait, any any comments about the what about butters? Like, because I think I nailed that, but whatever. Man, man is like, said, okay, let's sign off. Let's keep going. Okay, that's let's it. Keep going. <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>